You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Before we get started, quick word from our sponsor, Smitty's Fly Box, delivering monthly flies, fly materials, and accessories each month with their Smitty's Subscription Fly Box. Smitty's has been producing high-quality flies and materials for over 30 years, so now it's time to take the guesswork out of fly time materials and patterns. You can support this podcast right now and get a great selection of flies and fly time materials right now at Smitty's Fly Box. That's Smitty's, S-M-I-T-T-Y-S, smittysflybox.com. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing, Steve? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, this has uh, been a, a, a little time coming here. I'm glad to finally get you on the podcast and chat about, um, you know, what you have going in the fly tying space and, and fly fishing. You've got a few things going. I first heard about the round rocks. I'm really interested to dig into this, you know, because that's a big thing you have going. You also have Smitty's Fly Box, which is a really cool subscription box and then also a thing i want to talk about is bobby knight okay um, who, who who i've been a big bobby knight fan for a, a long time he was of course the a great basketball coach maybe one of the greatest of all time you know um and you know coached the usa i think he was the coach for the the dream team right back in the day so we got a lot to talk about today but let's take it back to like fly fishing i always love to start there what's your how did you first get into fly fishing and kind of what's your first memory there yeah, so um, I live in uh, northern Utah, and so our family, it's been, you know, a couple generations. My dad grew up on the Logan River here in Cache Valley, and my grandpa lived there, and, and so, I mean, I, we, our family has always fished, and we've always been fishing in the backyard, and then uh, my memories, you know, you mentioned my dad was a, a basketball coach with uh, Bobby Knight, so I when I was a little kid, we were, we lived in Indiana in the Midwest. And my earliest memories of fly fishing was, uh, catching bluegill, um, with my dad out there. You know, he didn't have a lot of time as a coach. Uh, but, but we had a few little lakes there in Bloomington, Indiana, that we would go catch bluegill. And then, uh, in the summers we would come back home out West and, some of my earliest memories was, you know, family vacations up to Yellowstone National Park. And uh, we would fish hoppers in August up there on the Yellowstone River. And back then is when the, the big cutthroats would come up in there out of Yellowstone Lake. And that was really where I, some of my best memories of, of learning how to cast and, you know, watching my dad and my grandpa and my uncles and just family and, you know, just wading out there and trying to chuck a Dave's hopper to those uh big cutthroats was was pretty awesome 
so that was really my earliest memories of learning how to cast and, and, uh, you know, hook and fish. But man, we used to catch a ton of bluegill in Indiana with, you know, little, little nymphs and stuff. And, and that, that was a lot of fun. So th- those are my earliest memories of fly fishing. That's it. And th- so, and we're going to talk about the basketball here in a little bit as well, because that, that was my sport, you know, back in the day. That was one of my big sports. <laughs> nice. I, I, I never got quite good enough to to play college ball or you think of, you know, that sort of thing, but I still love it. But so, so you're in Indiana and, um, mm-hmm. and then did you kind of have part, like you had part like Indiana for the basketball season and then you, or did you move out to Utah at a later point? Um, we moved out. We were only in Indiana for six seasons. So um, we were there in the 80s. And this was kind of the heyday of Indiana basketball and Bobby Knight. Um, in 84, he was the Olympic coach. Um, that, that was the last amateur team before they had pro. So this was actually before the, the so-called, you know, the dream team in 92. So this was 84. But that team had like Michael Jordan, um, you know, Sam Perkins, Ewing, all those guys. It was really the last great amateur team oh, in 84. Right. So, right. so we were there for all of that. And then, in, of course, in 87 is the last national championship that Indiana wins. And that was our last year. My dad was an assistant coach with Coach Knight. And so we moved. To, he got the head coaching job at Utah State in 88 and was able to come home. And, and, and uh, that's what brought us home back here to Utah. And that's when I was, you know, I was getting into my teenage years then. So that, that's kind of how we got back here to Utah. I see. I see. And so 87, so, or, I mean, what was that? Were you, so you were there during, I mean, do you remember that your dad was the assistant coach for Bobby Knight? Did you, Oh man, what you national. So he has a national championship under his belt. Yes. Uh huh. What was that like? What a thrill to be around Indiana basketball in the eighties as like a 10 year old kid. When people say, man, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Well, I was, Right. I was a fly on the wall. And uh who was that team? Who were the big players? Anybody that went to the NBA? Yeah. So 87, the big team uh, player was Steve Alford, who is now the coach at Nevada. And he was actually on the 84 Olympic team too. But that's the team that beat Syracuse in this new in the Louisiana Superdome, where Keith Smart hit the last second shot. And and that was I was there. You know, there's like 70,000 people and, and to be at that final four was, was pretty magical really. And so, yeah, just really lucky. I mean, I was just a spoiled kid. I was a gym rat. I mean, I went, I was in practices and on team buses and planes and and coach Knight was always really good to me, treated me like his own son because we would fish together all summer, you know, and coach Really, Coach Knight has two passions. It's basketball and fishing. He's just as passionate about fly fishing as he is basketball. And so when the season was over, and he would, he and my dad would come out west and literally fish for months. And so, and I was able to tag along on a lot of those trips at that time and, and more so later in my life when I got a little bit bigger. But, um, but that, that was really the relationship. But yeah, that 87 team, that was really a great, great team. And and they still show some of those highlights, you know, when you watch March Madness of that oh, show. Oh, they do. Yeah. But that was the great thing about Indiana and Coach Knight. He didn't have, you know, big talent a lot of times. Usually, you know, he had a lot of lesser talented kids because a lot of kids couldn't play for him because he was so demanding. Oh, really? 
Yeah, so he always seemed to do well, better, you know, do a, a lot more success with less talent. That was his genius, really. So that's right. That was his thing. I mean, he was a very hard-nosed coach, right? You didn't mess. I think he even had some things along the way where he maybe got into a little trouble just because he was such a hard-nosed, you know. But that's the thing is, I mean, some of the greatest coaches were, were that's what it took yeah. to be a champion, right? That's kind of the thing. And that's the old school way, you know, you don't see that anymore, really. So, um, but yeah, it was really a great childhood back there and, and, um, uh, you know, coming home to Utah was great. And, uh, we still, we, we still keep in touch with coach Knight even to this day. So he's a pretty strong family friend for sure. Well, and we'll leave some of that maybe if I have some more questions a little bit later. But how did you go from, so you, you get into fishing, you have a little six years of Indiana, but you've got this Utah connection. When does, you know, you've got this big round flies, right? Talk round about rocks. how, yeah, or sorry, round rocks. Talk about how that began, because this is a, a huge business you have going. Uh, describe how that came to you. How, well, how'd you get into fly fishing and tying as a business? So, um my dad came back to Utah state and he was here for six seasons. And then he got fired as the head coach at Utah state. So here we are, you know, we're in Logan, Utah and, uh, and he's trying to figure out what to do next. And I'm a, I'm a senior in high school. And, and honestly, uh, he called coach and was, you know, his mentor and was kind of trying to get a plan and coach said, Con, you should, uh, you should start a fly shop. He's like, you know, you, you're the best fisherman I've ever seen. He says, you really should just start a fly shop. And so that's what he did. He started a little fly shop here in Logan called Con's Trout Shop and uh, ran that for a year or so. And I helped him get that started. And then, and then he had some contacts here in town and they said, hey, you got to make these flies over in China. This was the uh, early 90s. And so he got a connection and, and he actually moved to China and started training these ladies how to tie flies. And we started our fly tying factory. And uh, I was over here sending materials and stuff from my parents' garage and we were communicated by the, communicating by the old fax machine. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone thought my dad lost his mind. <laughs> and uh, so... We started uh, trying to sell these flies and just, you know, here and there, just, just getting them in fly shops and sporting goods stores. And, and we're, we're still going 30-something years later. Wow. So that's kind of how we got that transition from uh, basketball to, to fishing. That's it. So again, it goes back to Bobby Knight had the, had the good advice yeah. to follow yep. your passion, right? That's kind of what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Wow. Okay. So you got this going and now you're, I mean, you're selling a lot of flies. I mean, we don't have to talk about, you know, all the details, mm -hmm. but uh, you have a couple of big distributors, right? Or at least one that people would know of. Is that, is that how you, I mean, what is, is that where it comes from? You're, you, you've got these large distributors that are handling a lot of your fly sales through Round Rocks? Yeah. So Round Rocks, you know, originally too, there's a few twists and turns in there. When we first started, too, we, we had a catalog business called Round Rocks Fly Fishing. And, and some of your listeners may remember that way back for a few years. But, but really, the wholesale fly thing was kind of the, uh, the main thing we were doing. We started selling to Sportsman's Warehouse here. And uh, they had one store here in Salt Lake. Uh, this, again, 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, we went in there and they, they didn't have any beadheads. And this was when beadhead nymphs were just coming out. Oh, wow. 
and we had we had tied up a ton of little beadhead nymphs. So we went in there and, and said, hey, look, you don't have any of these beadhead nymphs. Let's put a little display of them. We'll just give them to you and see if they sell. About a week later, they came back and said, hey, all those beadheads you put in here, man, we're out. We sold them all. <laughs> so that's really how we started uh, selling the Sportsman's Warehouse. Now, of course, they have like 130 stores nationwide, and uh, we're the sole supplier. We supply every one of their stores. Just our family, my dad and I. That's it. That's us. So if you go into Sportsman's, and uh, by fly, they're coming from us. So that's where they come from. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I and I go to Sportsman's uh, quite a bit actually. I, I, I it's a kind of a local store, and uh-huh. uh, and so that's cool. I love I love that story because you know 130 store and Sportsman's is huge. I mean they have everything. I mean not just flies and fly, but you, they got they pretty much all camping outdoor stuff. Uh-huh. So and the China thing is also interesting to me because I actually. You know, um, I've sourced out of China as well. I had some other outdoor products and I was doing that. And the cool thing about China, I think a lot of people don't realize is, you know, because you do have the political stuff. But I mean, there is just amazing people in China. The people I worked with, I had a whole logistics kind of team that I built. And, you know, they're they're just amazing people. So is that, do you still talk to those people quite a bit? Do you have a whole team back in China? Yeah, you know, um, we've actually transitioned away from there in the last five to seven years. And uh now we've got a, fa- a main factory in Thailand so that we were able to transition. Yeah, it was getting a little more difficult, um, you know, getting materials, getting in and out of there. And, and um, so this, this has been an easier thing. And so we, we slowly phased out of that original China factory and, um, you know, moved over to Thailand. So that's where all of our – most of our flies are tied. So, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And do you make trips over there to Southeast Asia every year or how does that look? Um, you know, I actually met a guy that we partnered with that, that lives there. And so, um, yeah, I haven't had to do it. And, and nowadays with, with technology, we've been able to make that communication and, and it works pretty smoothly. So we're pretty happy about it. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So you have, so you have the round rocks. It's been going forever now. Like you, I mean, 30 <laughs> years, that's a crazy amount of time. Right. And really the next thing maybe, and maybe that's on the timeline is Smitty's Flybox. So talk about, mm-hmm. You know, you start talking about Smitty's Flybox, what it is, and, uh, you know, what people listening might be able to get out of it. Yeah, so a little background with Smitty's Flybox is um, at Utah State University here, they have uh, some fly fishing classes. They're one-credit PE classes. So I started teaching those when I was in college. I went to Utah State myself, and they needed someone to teach these classes, and I was like, well, I can do that. So I started teaching those, and there's a fly fishing class, there's a beginner fly tying class, and an intermediate fly tying class. And so, uh, you know, you get a lot of students, and a lot of them are like, man, how do I get these materials for these patterns that we're tying? And and uh, so I'm always was getting these boxes of materials put together for these kids. And, and I started thinking about it. I was like, man, I ought to just do like a subscription box built around this class, you know, an intermediate fly tying box and a beginner fly tying box. So, so that's what it is. It's a subscription. You can sign up and we choose a pattern each month for each box, a beginner fly tying and an intermediate. And we uh, put together materials and send you a box of materials to tie, you know, about 25 flies. So it's actually a really good deal. It's a great way if you're just starting out in fly tying. And, you know, gathering materials can be difficult. And you end up, you know, going 10 different places and you're trying to figure out what patterns, what materials work for this pattern. So we just put it all together in one box. And it's, it's actually been really fun. 
had a really good response with it. But we also send flies, you know, because we have a warehouse full of flies. So if, if people want to just get flies, they just tell us where they're fishing. And um, we'll put together an assortment of flies specific for them, all the way from salt water to warm water and time of year. So we don't just send a bunch of random flies. It's We look at every subscription and say, oh, man, Joe Smith in North Carolina, where's he fishing? And then we... We uh, we put a assortment together for him. So, yeah, it's been a good thing. It's been a fun thing, and and just trying to get the word out a little bit about it. But that's that's Smitty's fly box. That's Smitty's fly. So if somebody's listening now and they want it, so they could either get the fly tying box, or if they wanted flies, they could call you and say, "Hey, I'm I'm in this state. I'm fishing here," and you would put together an assortment and send it out to them. Yep, absolutely. Actually, when they sign up, it prompts them to tell us where they're fishing, what type of fish they're targeting. You know, they'll say, oh, I'm targeting warm water or bass in this uh, lake that I like to fish at. We'll actually do the research, you know, because we distribute flies nationwide. So we get a pretty good feel for what people are using everywhere. And uh, yeah, put together a, a fly box. And then we have a combo box where if they're interested in more than one box, they can get two boxes into one. So it's, they want to get flies and a fly tying box, you can sign up for the combo box. So yeah, and it's really, you know, 25 bucks, free shipping. It's uh, it's a great deal, really. No kidding. Yeah, that's it. $25 free shipping. And they get, mm-hmm. uh, basically, like you said, you get how many patterns? What do you get out of that? The $25 is like monthly, just a monthly box. Yep. Yep. You get a monthly box. So if you got the fly box, you'd get 12 flies, six patterns, and then we throw in uh, leaders or a tippet. We do use Orvis uh, tippet, and then we'll have an accessory, a sticker, and we have like a monthly newsletter that we send with it. With the uh, fly tying boxes, you're going to get enough patterns to, or I'm sorry, enough materials to tie about 25 flies, and then we'll send variations. We'll send a couple colors of dubbing. We'll send maybe a couple sizes of hooks. So you get a little variation in that 25 flies and you'll always have excess materials. So I get guys emailing me. They're like, Hey man, I got to stop the subscription. Cause I'm just like getting piled up with thread. And so, yeah. so <laughs> you, your materials can pile up pretty quick for sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And you also do videos too, right? You guys have like a YouTube channel and talk about that. Is it, do you have videos for all the patterns so people can kind of walk through How do they learn to tie the fly? Yeah, so on our YouTube channel, we'll we'll uh, record a tutorial for each pattern every month, and they're on our YouTube channel, which is just Smitty's Fly Box. And yeah, so works out good. And then we also in the newsletter will have photos of the step by step instruction as well that's included in the box. Gotcha. Uh, going back to the shop, uh, what, what was it? The Cons Fly Shop. It was called Cons Trout Shop in Logan, Utah. My dad is Con Smith, K-O-H-N, and uh, yeah, he had a little fly shop, just honestly, a little one-room, hole-in-the-wall, Con's trout, you know, your typical sure. 90s fly shop. Yeah, 90, <laughs> I, well, I know it well, and, and it's interesting because I grew up around a little fly shop that's not around anymore. My dad had a shop, and I kind of grew up around it, so I remember the small shop and, and, yeah. and all the stuff, right? So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I kind of have a connection. I've always loved the flats part of my fly shop and just this whole thing, my journey. But uh-huh. um, but he ended up, yeah, I guess he just ended up going into what was the more profitable thing and, and the shop closed down eventually. Is that kind of how it looked? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, running a one-man operation back then, 
you know, it was tough. It was tough. And we still had, my sisters were young at home, but he met a guy, how that worked was, yeah, there's a local business here that makes treadmills and stuff. And, and they had connections in China and they just approached him and were like, Hey, look, you, you know, you could just come use our space and, and start producing flies over there. And he just kind of felt like, Oh, that might be a good transition or something new. So he sold his fly shop. And, and that's how he got into doing the wholesale flies. And then he kind of did the catalog thing along with that. Once he started making flies, then uh, it just kind of took off from there. Right, right, right. That's it. Yeah, you guys haven't looked back. Nice. Well, um, yeah, and, I, and I, there's a few other things I want to touch base on. Maybe just talk about some of your patterns, um, you know, like I want to dig into that. But I want to check back on with Bobby Knight because we yeah. talked about that a little bit. and. And you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. I know he's not, he's having some struggles. I think he's, he's getting older or, you know, in his, his old age. But um, what was that? I mean, what did you, when you look at Bobby Knight, your dad, the influence, I mean, it must have been being around, you know, one of the greatest basketball coaches really of all time. I mean, is there stuff you take away, your dad took away from a business life perspective that you see, you think about from that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, he found the f- f- perfect fishing buddy in my dad, really. <laughs> <laughs> Those two. But yeah, you know, he, so he's had an influence and just, just that level of, you know, commitment to excellence, I guess you could say, and being around that sport and, and, and driven. I mean, it was very demanding, you know, as, of course, working for him was really demanding. But, um, you know, coaches, uh, I th- and I think that's what really helped propel my dad in, in the business thing was working for him, being an, a, rec- a recruiter and, and all of those types of things and, and just get it done, you know, do it. And, and so I think that really helped my dad when he started the business. And, uh, but it's funny, I, I'll circle back a little bit how they met, really. My dad oh, was right. just a little, yeah, he was just a high school basketball coach here in Southern Idaho. Westside High School has like a hundred students. Where's that? Where's Westside in Southern Idaho? Where is that? Dayton, Idaho. It's just outside of Preston, right on the border of Utah. Oh, okay. Little tiny school. He was the head basketball coach, football coach. He was just like twenty-two, and and uh, but you know we were always fishing. But Coach Knight, he would come out west and do these coaches clinics, but he always wanted to go fishing. So he'd ask whoever who was doing the clinic, he'd say, hey, I'll come out and do this clinic, but someone's got to take me fly fishing out west. And that's how my dad hooked up with him as this guy was like, hey, you got to take Bobby Knight fishing. And so, uh, you know, my dad has this little red truck and he's like poor as a dirt, you know, church mouse. And and, uh, so he's like taking Coach Knight and Coach Knight was trying to figure out how to fish the Madison River. Oh, Wow. And uh, I think my dad drew him a map and we, we fished the Madison. My grandpa fished, we've been fishing the Madison a hundred years. Oh, no and, kidding. Uh, yeah. And, and my dad drew him a little map, you know, $3 bridge, the whole story. You go in there and you got to put $3 in the can and go to this rock and use these flies. And so he went up there and caught some fish and he called my dad back. He said, Hey, you know, man, I had a great trip. He says, why don't you come up and meet me? And and that's kind of how they started. And then they would go all over Wyoming and my dad would drive and he's like, Oh, I don't have any money. And I, I got this truck that's going to break down and, and, and they would go around all over Wyoming and Montana and Idaho and fish like all summer long. And that's kind of how they met as fishing buddies. And then, you know, of course, a few years later when, uh, 
They won the national championship in 1981. They had Isaiah Thomas. And that summer, coach called and said, uh, Con, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, you're coming to Indiana to be my assistant coach. Wow. So we, we packed up the family and moved out there. Gosh. And that's kind of how that, that connection. So it really was through fishing is how that connection. What was that like for you? What was that like for you moving, uh, you know, Utah to Indiana for those six years? Yeah, I was just little then. I was, I was six years old, but it was awesome. Really. It was, it was amazing. So, um, yeah, just, just to be at that level. So he went from a little high school in, uh, in Utah, actually in those years, he moved to a new high school, a Bear River High School in northern Utah. But he went from Bear River High School to Indiana. <laughs> you don't see that kind of jump uh, in coaching these days. Oh, right, right, right. But when you're Bobby Knight, yeah, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah. So he hired my dad from this little high school, and and that's how we got back there. So Wow. And, and so I was thinking, so Isaiah, I knew Bobby. Yes, I mean, yeah, obviously Isaiah Thomas one mm -hmm. of the great point guards of all time. And the interesting thing about Isaiah Thomas is he was a pretty hard-nosed ball player too. I mean, for sure, mm -hmm. uh, he had that mentality, right? You didn't mess with Isaiah. I mean, the, the bad boys, right? Detroit Pistons, right? I'm sure Yeah, Dennis Rodman, you know, that whole team was built around Isaiah pretty much. And so, like, that's Bobby Knight, right? That was a big influence, I'm sure, for Isaiah. I'm sure, yeah, you know, being with Coach and being in that program for a couple of years. And plus, he's a Chicago kid, so he's tough. Anyway, but uh, combine that with his couple years with Coach Knight, yeah, he's he's a tough guy, tough, hard-nosed kid for sure. Wow, that's so cool. This is good. Okay, so we got the basketball taken care of, and, uh, which is amazing. So let, let's let's take it back. I want to talk a little on flies, you know, what you – you know, like you've got everything. I mean, so when we go back to sportsmen's and those all those flies, 130 shops, I mean, what flies are you covering there? Do you – do they cover everything, trout, bat, panfish, like all the flies? Yeah. Uh-huh. So we, uh, they have a lot of stores out in the Midwest and the uh, Eastern warm water, uh, areas. So we do a lot of bass patterns. We do saltwater patterns, everything, um, steelhead, salmon stuff. Um, and then, you know, obviously the main focus is most of the trout patterns, but, and all the flies in there are sold for the same price. So it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, a good deal, but yeah, we do a little, a little bit of everything. Gotcha. And what are the typical like prices wise? Like what, what, if you're in, if you go into sportsman's, what are you going to pay for a pattern at sports, uh, sportsman's dollar 39, which is unbelievable. Really? Wow. Yeah. Dollar 39. That's for, and yeah. that's probably for just your typical fly, which seems absolutely amazing. Cause I mean, you see a lot of flies out there for $3 and up. I mean, I even had somebody on the podcast recently, she ties custom mm -hmm. and she was talking about a $45 fly pattern that she was tying for one of her clients. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And so that's where, where we're at. And that's where we've been with them for 30 years is kind of that, uh, same price across the board. And that formula has worked and we work really hard to, you know, Obviously, the perception is, well, they, they must be cheap or whatever, but they're all tied with, um, um, you know, good hooks from Japan. Uh, Whiting Farms has been a great partner of ours from the beginning. Um, they've We use all their hackle. We source all the materials ourselves here to the warehouse. So they're all using good materials. And I think, you know, we've been able to sell them for that cheap just because, like I said, it's just my dad and I. So there's not a lot of – we're just a family business, so – 
we can make it work. And uh, we're just a small family business and, and, and can keep our costs down quite a bit to be able to sell, sell fly for that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. No. And that, and that's part of it, right? Yeah. Keep your costs down. And uh, I mean, obviously, um, having staff, that's a huge, uh, for most businesses, that's, uh, uh, you know, a big cost probably the biggest mm-hmm. thing is paying for staff. Um, and then, so I've noticed on your videos, there's some, uh, you know, like on some of somebody that's doing the tying, who's doing the tying on the videos? Me. Oh, that's you. Yeah, that's me. Or there's a couple of, uh, Courtney is a friend of mine that we hired. Yeah. Courtney. Yeah, he he he's done a few of them as well. So he's 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 a kid that um, he took our fly tying classes at Utah State, and I was I, he was just hanging around. I says, "Man, well, I got to hire him because he's so he's a fish he's a fish nut and a very talented fly tire." And so yeah, we're glad to have him on board, and he's been working for us for about five years. So he does a few of the of the videos and he's actually teaching some of the classes nowadays at Utah state. So, Oh, right. Yeah. So he's a good guy. Yep. Yeah. So you're still doing that. Yeah. You still have the Utah state, which is interesting too, because we, you know, the Penn state program, we had George Daniel on a while back Hmm. and talked about that. And there's not a lot of colleges as my guests around the country that have, you know, fly fishing classes, but uh, obviously Pennsylvania and Utah are a couple. I mean, do you know of, are there other places, other colleges around the country that have the similar like fly tying, like intro fly fishing, fly tying? You know what? I, I haven't heard of many. I think Montana state might have something, but that's the only other one that I've heard, but it's, we have six classes we teach and they're like really popular. So we, every one of our classes gets full every semester um, so it's a very popular class. We there's a little uh, ranch out here in, in Cache Valley where we live that uh, allows us to bring the uh, students out. So it's like a little private fish ranch. So and the fishing is actually really good there. And so we take the students out there, and it works out great. Everyone can fish. Everyone, you know, we get a lot of fishing involved in the class. So it's a very popular class for sure. Gotcha. So this is not only fly tying. So you, this is like a, basically a one fly fishing one on one sort of deal. Yeah, so we, we do uh, two sections of fly fishing, 101, basically, and then we have a beginner fly tying class, an intermediate fly tying class, and a rod building class. So we'll uh, we'll actually build a fly rod in one of our classes. Oh, and build a fly rod. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're covering. I mean, that's essentially, you know, I'm like a fly shop, right? I mean, that's what a fly shop would be doing, but it's at the college. So, mm-hmm. you're, you're, yeah, you're kind of doing everything that a fly shop would do, just a little bit of a different type of way, right? Yep. Yep. So a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Smitty's Fly Box, delivering monthly flies, fly materials and accessories each month with their Smitty subscription fly box. If you need a unique fly selection for a new water you're fishing or if you want to get started fly tying the easy way, Smitty's has you covered. They'll find out where you're fishing and supply you with a custom fly assortment. And Smitty's has been producing high-quality flies and materials for over 30 years, and you may not realize it, but Smitty's is connected to Round Rocks, who is the sole supporter to Sportsman's Warehouse and has tied and supplied millions of flies over the years. I was at Sportsman's this week and picked up a couple of dozen flies, some chubby, small and large dry flies, some terrestrial patterns. The quality was exceptional. That's one of my struggles is the dry flies. So I love looking at these little guys from small little tiny flies that I can barely see with my eyesight's the big one. And these are the same people who are delivering and tying these flies to your door with Smitty's Fly Box. 
It's a great time right now to get stocked up for the season. You can head over to smittysflybox.com right now to take a look at their selection of flies and monthly boxes right now. Let Smitty's take the guesswork out of choosing fly materials and patterns right now. This is also an easy way to support this podcast and a small business who has been producing high-quality flies for many years. Check them out right now. That's Smitty's, S-M-I-T-T-Y-S, smittysflybox.com. Okay, back to the show. Let's hear about, you know, your flies. So if we are going to be getting a selection of, you know, like the monthly box Mm-hmm. And somebody that's kind of brand new, maybe wants to get into fly tying, where do you start? And what's the first spot? What are the fly patterns that you, you know, you train? Because I remember I did a little bit of this myself, you know, it's not mm-hmm. easy, but you think of like, okay, you got the woolly bugger, mm-hmm. you got certain flies. What do you guys start? What's your, what's your top 10, 12 flies that you would put into a be, you know, beginner box? Yeah. So with the beginner fly tying box, you, we do a lot of traditional patterns. We'll do, like you said, a woolly bugger. We'll do you know, your pheasant tails, elk hair, caddis, a lot of the traditional patterns in our beginner fly tying box and really just mirrors what we do in our teaching our class. We always start with a woolly bugger too. That's like the first fly. And then, but we'll sprinkle in some, some of our own stuff as well. Some patterns that we tie just to keep it kind of fun and fresh. And then I think last last month we did a Frenchie nymph for the beginner, a Lance Egan pattern. We did that one, and then the intermediate box will branch out a little more and do a lot like, again, some of our our patterns or stuff that's really trending and kind of hot right now. I think we did a a fly called a Chernubby last month in the intermediate, which is like a small chubby Chernobyl, like a little mini mini chubby Chernobyl. Um, But we we stay pretty much mostly trout-focused in the fly tying boxes. But that's that's kind of we we have it in mind. We're, we're sitting here thinking, okay, if you're just learning how to tie flies, what's what what patterning is is gonna really? We don't want to overwhelm people with the beginner fly tying box, so we keep it pretty simple. Like El Karen. So that's the thing is that you know, I always think about my biggest struggle has always been like the dry flies. Uh, yeah, you know? and part of that's like not putting the time in, but you've got the. You know, you got Adam's parachutes and stuff like that, but more of the Catskill style dries. Do you guys mess with like any of that stuff? Because those oh, yeah. seem to be, yeah, you do. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, we lay out the patterns for the year and we sit down and have a good meeting, me and Courtney, and and uh, we try to spread it out. We'll say, okay, we need to do a dry fly and we'll kind of rotate. We'll do a nymph, we'll do a streamer and just throughout the year. So we'll we'll do Adam's and parachute Adam's and kind of thorax style flies and and we always use whiting farms hackle that we'll hand pick and size and and that's part of the instruction learning about hackle and and um sizing it for them and and all of that so right right that's a big part of it yeah and we had uh we had a whiting I'm, i don't have the episode in front of me but we we heard the story from you know the whiting farm story and it's an interesting one you have do you talk to the the owner there uh often at whiting uh, not too often. I, t- I talk to Phil, who kind of runs, you know, some of the relations with um, customers. And we went and visited. I've been to their, I was at their facility in the fall. And, and uh, man, yeah, it's it's amazing what what they've done. But we started buying hackles again in the early 90s. That's when Tom Whiting was really getting going. Oh, right. Figuring out how to get this hackle and to see where he's, what he's done with hackle and how it's come along 
you know, back in the eighties, you couldn't get hackle really, you know, really good hackle for, it was hard to find good hackle for dry flies and stuff. Yeah, you know? I remember that. And so, uh, what he's done for fly tying and the ability to, to make, you know, really small dry flies and has been pretty awesome really. So. Yeah, it has. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm looking at it. It's, it's episode 115, uh, Whiting Farms with Tom Whiting. And yeah, uh-huh. the thing you, you hear when you hear Tom is, I mean, he is a super nerd. You know, it's awesome. Like he goes, the genetics is what he is. I think he might be a geneticist, right? Or, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. He definitely knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. So that's what he did. <laughs> he took it to the next level. And uh, obviously we're all better because of it or tying better flies because that's the struggle with the dry flies is that if you don't have the right hackles, you're not going to tie a great fly, right? That's yep. the key. Exactly. Yep. So good. Okay. So that's, uh, you know, a little bit on your materials, flies. I mean, what else should we know about what you have going, you know, whether Smitty's or the stuff you have going with round rocks anything else you want to shed light on that we're missing here? It sounds like we've touched base on most of it. Yeah. You know, we just, we're just trying to, uh, <clears throat> transition a little bit and, and get our name out there, the round rocks flies. And, and, uh, you know, we have, we have a lot of shops reaching out to us and, and so we don't just sell to sportsmen's, you know, we have a lot of, other, we have a lot of other customers and a lot of fly shops that call us. And so, you know, round rocks is a name we haven't really pushed again. We've been around 30 years and most people don't even know who we are. And, and so, um, that's, that's kind of what it is. I want to put a face to behind the flies mm-hmm. and, uh, so we're doing that and that's busy and, and a lot of fun. And then the Smitty's fly box again is, is, is kind of a thing we're, we've been dabbling in that, that I'd like to get the, the word out a little bit and, and build more relation relationships along the way. So, right, right, right. And we just uh, recently had an episode with the, uh, it was pretty interesting because I heard the, uh, Renzetti, uh, vices, right. The Lily, we had Lily Renzetti on and she told the story of that company, which has been around for 50 years. Yeah. You know, like I didn't even realize I haven't, you know, used Renzetti before, but obviously know about him. but there's all these great stories and you're another one, these family, a family business. So I mm-hmm. feel like, and I had a family business with my family, right? It, it seems like that's what makes fly fishing and tying one of those special places that there's a lot more of that than there is the corporate thing. Do you, is that what you've seen over the years being around it? Oh yeah. Being in the industry, it's, it's built with, uh, small little operations like ourselves, and, and it usually is born out of, cause we love to fish and fly tie flies, you know? And, and so that's, what's cool about it is it's the people really, um, guys telling fish stories and, you know, people that, you know, were fishing in their local rivers and they start pedaling a, you know, a, a dubbing or something that they created. Right, right. <laughs> There's so many of those stories. That, and, and it's funny, a lot of our vendors, it's like that. It's like some guy that's making dubbing out of his garage and we're buying it from him. And that's what he does. Oh, right. Yeah, there's a lot of those around for sure. Oh, right, right. So there's literally just some person that out there and he's just got this special dubbing and that's his business. He's got this thing going. Yeah, and you got to find it and you got to call him and, and oh, yeah, you know, I'll send you some dubbing here and there. Right. And, oh, this guy, that's you know, he has a tannery and, oh, man, I need to get a few hides from you. And so, okay, you know, send me a couple deer hides, you know, that kind of thing. And right. That's what's kind of fun about it really is it's still like that in fly tying um the majority of it yeah it is it is and the other thing you hear a lot about and you've probably seen this too but 
you know, synthetics these days are, there's so many synthetics and there's lots of new, do you see that as a big change? Do you see a lot of new materials? Is it hard to keep up with all the new materials or do you guys have like a standard fly as you tie and you don't have to worry too much about all the, the new stuff? Um, no, we, we're definitely paying attention to the new stuff all the time. Um, you know, we have a good relationship with hairline and hairline dubbing and, and they're really at the forefront uh, of a lot of the, uh, newer synthetics and stuff. And so, yeah, we're always messing around with stuff like that and stuff that we find on our own. And that's, what's great about fly tying is there's really no limit to what, what you can use. And, but, you know, we were joking the other day in the shop, we were like, man, how much different types of, you know, dubbing or do we need? And, and right. they're all kind of the same really. So, but everyone's got a, you know, an ice dub, a flash dub, a lightning dub, a, but they're all kind of like the same dubbing really. So. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same dubbing is what is dubbing? Just some synthetic, um, what polypropylene or what, right. Is that, yeah. It's just, just, yeah. That's like a synthetic blend of different types of yarns and, and things like that, sparkle and angel hair and stuff included. Right, right. That's it. Amazing. So, and what is your home? So you mentioned a couple rivers up in Montana, Idaho. What, what like, what now is your home? If you're going out there and you're going to go fish the river um, that probably some people know about, is there one that you really target? Yeah. So we, we live in a great spot. So I've mentioned Cache Valley. We're in Logan, Utah, which we're about an hour from the uh, in Idaho border. So. Right here in our valley, we have about five rivers that come out of the uh, mountains here. We have the Logan River, which is uh, home to a lot of uh, native cutthroat trout. Now, what cutthroat are these? Because you have, you've got Yellowstone cutthroat, you got West Slope cutthroat, or is this one of those species? Bonneville cutthroat trout. Oh, Bonneville. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you can catch a bunch of uh, nice cutthroats right on the Logan River, and that runs right through town here in Logan. And then uh, just to the south, the next canyon over, we have the Blacksmith Fork River, which is similar to the Logan River. We've got the Little Bear River, and we've got to the north of us, we have another river called the Cub River. So there's lots of little streams, I mean, literally five minutes from my house where where we're going to fish. That's my home water. But just across the border, we're we're three hours from the Henry's Fork, oh, wow. you know, the Madison's four-hour drive, the Green River in Utah is about a four hour drive. And so in every direction, we've got, we've got the Snake River, we've got uh, the Provo. So there's, there's a lot of fishing right here, but, but right in town, I would say the Logan River and the Blacksmith Fork River are, would be our home water. That's right. And where does the Logan, do you know which way I'm not even looking at a map? I don't know, but where, where does that flow? What does it flow into? Um, so that'll join with the, uh, the blacksmith fork river kind of down here in the marshes and then it'll empty up into the bear river and uh, head down into the great salt lake oh yeah right so so into the great salt lake which means and then that's the end of it you know you asked me this question and i should know this because i've <laughs> lived here but i've never really <laughs> i'm not a hundred percent about that i'll be honest with you and i'm kind of embarrassed about it but... yeah we'll, we'll figure it out we'll figure it out for you because I'm, I'm starting to think I'm, I'm i'm now looking at the map i'm thinking okay where does yeah because you're uh, you got the great salt lake which mm -hmm. is i mean so you got salt lake city I'm, I'm trying to do oh yeah logan so you're up north of salt what are you about like a hour and a half from salt lake 
Yep, exactly. Yeah, hour and a half, and then you got press. Yeah, you're right there. So we've been doing a lot up in uh, southeast Idaho with some stuff there. So we've talked a lot about that. In fact, I'm going to the South Fork uh, this year with Pete Erickson and a crew. We're going to be up there fishing uh, the snake, which is going to be good. But, yeah, right around just south of the border is you guys. I mean, you're right yep. there. We're right there. We can go. We'll, we float the South Fork a lot, and actually we do it in one day. We drive up, float it, and come home that night. So oh, you do? do uh-huh. Right on, right on. And what do you guys, what do you like to do on when you float the South Fork? Do you have, because there's a few different sections. What What's the section you guys like? Um, we'll float the first section right below Palisades Reservoir. Um, that's great. Um, there's a lot of little braids and we'll, uh, we'll fish, uh, you know, this time of year, dry flies into the bank, like dry dropper type stuff. And then we, if you can get into the riffles and the cutthroats, get in there and start working on PMDs and stuff, it can be really great dry fly fishing. You can always nymph fish along the way anytime and pick up fish. And then, you know, the streamer fishing can be, there's some really big fish in there if you can, uh, get them to bite a streamer. And so that can be a lot of fun too. So we'll do a little bit of everything when we float the South Fork. But um, there's a canyon section that's really good too. That's a little bit longer float, but there's tons of character in there. You know, you got cliff walls and you've got drop-offs and big pools and shallow riffles. And during the salmon fly hatch, which is kind of going on right now, the right tail now. end of it, it's, it's probably the tail end of it. Yeah, right now as we're talking, just so people are aware, it's uh... – you know, like July, it was July 19th to July 20th, mm -hmm. right? So we're in this mid, and it's starting, because we just had Justin Hayes on from, from the, uh, the uh, Palisades Lodge, Lodge of Palisades, and he was talking okay. about that. Yeah, so he was describing that, how, yep, it's, got, it's a little bit late because of the high water this year, but it was, it's happening. So it's on now, and it, it happens for a couple weeks, right? So probably by the time this goes live, it'll probably be over, mm -hmm. but at least right now it's on, right? There's salmon flies everywhere. Yeah, it's usually around the 4th of July is kind of the benchmark. But, yeah, I think it's been a, a, a few weeks late this year, like he said. But um, so I, I've heard that, you know, there's still a few fluttering around and, and fish are still swirling on them here and there. So, but, yeah, we'll fish it. Yeah, there and there's another section down towards the highway bridge. It's a little hairier to float and to, to row in there. But there's some big fish down there as well so yeah we'll fish all the sections of it yeah good well good for you yeah 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 no it's gonna be fun it's we've been i've been thinking about i mean it's one of those famous rivers i mean you, there's a bunch around there you mentioned a few of them the madison and all that stuff but for sure the mm -hmm. henry's fork in the south and, it, and it's kind of the headwaters of the snake river one of the great rivers right of, of the west so it's the start of an amazing um of that system uh, so I'm looking at Logan. I think so. When you're in Logan, Logan goes right through the town, the Logan River, right? Yes. Yeah, Logan River. I see it. So it goes right through Logan River, and then it flows out. Yeah, I mean, I think it just flows pretty much. That's the thing. It goes into the uh, into the Salt Lake. Although I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna try to track it down. We're gonna leave that for somebody else to figure out. You know, I'm I know the fishing's not any good down there, so I don't care about it. I I go up the canyon. And I I head upstream. You know, instead oh, of downstream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Because the Salt Lake is interesting. The Great Salt Lake is interesting because I think there isn't an outlet, right? That's the thing. There's, it goes into the lake and then it probably just goes into aquifers and groundwater. Is, yeah, is, is my guess. It's this massive, um, yeah, giant deal. So, 
Cool. All right, Steve. Well, we've, we've got a couple of things we've highlighted. Um, we've got your home water, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, so I guess looking ahead, as you kind of look out, you know, now we're mid July, it's going to be August, you know, the next six months to a year, what would anything you want to highlight you guys have coming, you know, that we haven't talked about yet here? No, nothing, no big events or anything like that. Just, uh, just, you know, we're just making flies and making tying flies. So, yeah. Yeah. You're doing it. What's the what's the number? Give me a number so people you know so we can have a feel for how many flies you guys are making, tying, just sending out, like producing we're in a year. Yeah, we're we're in the millions. Millions. Yes. Uh huh. We're producing millions of flies a year. Millions of flies. That's it. Yep. That's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, well, I, and I and I asked that because I think of I, one of my mentors was talking about um, talking about podcasting, uh-huh. and one of those things was like, how do you get good at podcasting or anything? And you got to do a lot of it, right? The more you do, yeah. the, the 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 faster you get, become an expert at it. You know what I mean? So I feel like we're doing a lot of content, and that's making this whole thing better. And you know, you're doing a lot of flies. If you're doing millions of flies, you're you're doing you're good, right? You're really good at that that thing you do. Yeah. And so that's one of those things. Do you feel like you kind of get to a thing and, and you're, you kind of can't get any better? I mean, like what, what's, what's that look like as far as the learning? Are you always learning and being, you know, learning new flies, new patterns, stuff like that? No, I think you can always learn, like you said, and, and really where I learned how to really tie flies well was when I started teaching the fly tying classes, because I was having to teach someone else how to tie a fly but I, I think it's like anything. I don't, I don't think you can stop learning. I, especially fishing, you know, I feel like I learn something new every time I go fishing, um, a new technique or a new way of doing it. You know, the Euro, the Euro nymphing thing has really come on in the last, you know, three or four years. And, and it took me, you know, to really learn that. And, and I was like, wow, that's cool. And, you know, I, I mentioned my dad too, you know, he's a guy, he's been fishing forever and, when when he started, you know, getting that idea of Euro nymphing and stuff, he's like, oh, man, that makes sense. I'm going to try that. And he's and so I that's the great thing is is fly fishing is always seems to it's evolving all the time. And um, and so there's always a new idea or a new way someone's rigging something or, you know, and, and so I don't think that's going to stop really. No. And your dad, you're so your dad tried. He's into Euro nymphing a little bit. Oh, yeah. He'll. He's got a whole setup and he'll, he'll try anything. He nice. doesn't, he's not, that's one thing I will say about my dad. He's not that old guy that's going to be like, well, we've been doing it this way for a hundred years. We're not changing. You know, it's more of you're out on the water and you're paying attention and you're looking at that river riffle and you're like, man, how I can see fish in that seam. How can I get a fly down to him? And, oh, now we're using tungsten beads instead of lead split shot and, you, you know, and, and that's really the fun thing about fishing is experimenting. Yeah, it is. No, that says a lot about your dad, I think, because, you know, my dad was actually one of those people that kind of did get a little bit stuck on things, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, and so, yeah. but it's cool to hear your dad is, you know, he's Euro nipping and, and because it is, it's definitely an effective way. And you guys, I'm sure are selling some Euro nipping flies. Well, you know, uh-huh. I know the Paragon, right? Is that something yeah. you have a, a little selection of uh, Euro flies? Yep. Yep. We're, uh, we're starting to funnel those into a lot of the sportsman's warehouse stores and, and they're selling. That's a lot of people are, are transitioning and trying new things. So, 
But we sell a lot of the traditional stuff. We still sell a lot of pheasant tails and print snips. And so you can't let the classics go either because they're they're classics for a reason. They catch fish. They work. Yeah, they work. So Yeah, I think the pheasant tail is is a fly that's come up many, many times. I've asked, you know, Mike Lawson, lots of people, and it always comes back to, you know, the the pheasant tail. Yeah. It's like it's it's the probably it's just like the woolly bugger, you know, it's one yeah. of those patterns that will always be great for some reason. I guess it's uh, the material. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, most new flies are just variations of those, you know. Uh, most modern streamers are just variations or add-ons to the woolly bugger. If you look at them, articulated streamers, most of those are just two woolly buggers put together by a wire. That's right. You know, or they're like a combination of a woolly bugger and a muddler minnow. So most of your uh, Euro nymphs, if you look at them, they're just a variation of a pheasant tail. They just have maybe a bigger bead head on them or, you know. So, so a lot of the new innovations in flies are just sprung out of some of the classics, really. Yeah. That's right. Nice. Cool, Steve. Well, well let's pull, um, I had a little quick little rapid fire around here. Some questions yeah. I like to ask just to kind of uh, wrap things up. And we've talked about a few of these. Um, just want to highlight. So we, I mentioned the vice. I'm curious when you're, what is your vice? Do you have multiple vices or do you have one brand that you like to use when you're tying? I have two. I, uh, I, grew, I grew up on the Regal vice. It's this no nonsense bronze base. I still have that vice, and I think I've tied a million flies on that thing, and it still has not budged. It's a, and then uh, I have a Renzetti that I got in the last three couple years that I love, um, a little like Renzetti Traveler or something, and and it's uh, it's yeah, it's great. I really like it. So yeah, I'm not really a, a vice snob. If it holds my hook, I don't care who what yeah. it is. Well, those are two <laughs> of the best. A, I don't need any bells and whistles if I just needed to hold a hook, but I exactly. don't think you can go wrong with either one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And they're both between the Regal because I have those. Well, I don't have the Renzetti, but I have the Regal. Uh, between the Regal and the Renzetti, is there like a difference between the size? Like, do they hold a small fly equally or a big fly equally? Equally, yeah. I, I can't see much of a difference. Yeah. So Perfect. Yep. Good. Good. What's your, so you're floating the South Fork or anywhere out there. What's What's the boat you're floating in? Hide drift boat. We're hide guys. We, uh, I, you know, Lemoyne, you know, he's been doing it there in Eastern Idaho forever. And we just started getting his boats. And I don't think I've never been in a different boat myself. Yeah. So it's been hide and hide does great. Like hide, doesn't hide have fiberglass and aluminum or is it just fiberglass? Honestly, I couldn't tell you, but ours are all fiberglass. They're fiberglass. And, and what's the 16, is this like a 16 foot, just normal drift boat? Just a normal drift boat. Yep. We've got two of them. You got two of them. Okay. So you yeah. got two. Is that just your, your dad's got one, you got one or why, why two? That's exactly right. And cause we got a big family. Every time we go, we got to tag along a cousin or a oh, brother sure. and they want to jump in and I got my kids. And so, yeah, yeah. we have also have a couple rafts. We have a fly craft raft, which is great. And then, uh, just kind of a big rubber raft that we use as well. Sure. Yeah. Big, like, do you guys do any river, like a uh, long multi-day float trip sort of stuff, camping and all that? Um, we've done a couple of those like on the South Fork, but we're, we haven't done one of those for a, a couple of years. We're getting a little soft the older we get, you know, we got to stay in a cabin or something, but. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, I know. I've noticed that myself. It's funny. I hate to age, you know, age ourselves here, but I feel like I could, at one point I was sleeping on the ground just as easy as anything. And now it's like, wow, my back doesn't like sleeping on the ground as much as it used to. Do you find that that's same for you? 
Yeah, yeah. We want to fish and not try to survive these days, it seems like. We want to fish and get off the river and get rested and fish hard again the next day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Perfect. But we're All getting right. soft for sure. But but yeah, we take those rafts. There's a couple places that we can't get the drift boats that we like to float, so we can drop the rafts down in there. Yeah, that's it. Okay, good. And and uh, and also, I always love to hear a little bit on the either the podcasting or music. What's when you're traveling up to Idaho? What are you listening to? Or you know, when you're listening to music, is it more music or more podcasts? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I, I well, I love your podcast. That's why oh, nice. we got connected. So I yeah. listen to the Wet Flight podcast and uh, probably a lot of Kenny Chesney and Dave Matthews. You know? Uh huh. All right. Yeah, Kenny Chesney, which is kind of like country, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. There you go. Kenny Chesney. All right. We're going to throw it. I haven't heard uh, that in a while. So I'm going to throw some Kenny Chesney in the show notes. Is it Chesney? Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Chesney. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll get it. We'll get a song to take us out of here uh, in the show notes today. And uh, yeah, Steve, I think we'll, I think we'll just leave it there uh, for now. Um, and we'll send everybody out to smittiesflybox.com and they can pick your brain on anything. Does that sound good? And we'll just keep in touch on everything we have going here. Yeah, yeah. Anyone's feel free to reach out to me anytime. Uh, my email is just steve at smittiesflybox.com. Uh, yeah, reach out with any questions. I'd be happy to, to respond. Perfect, Steve. All right, well, we're excited to keep in touch here, and I'll be uh, continuing. I'm going to head to Sportsman's, too, and uh, and check out a few more of those flies. I can't believe that the price seems kind of unbelievable, right? So uh, that's uh, one place to uh, definitely touch base with you. I guess if people did want to buy flies, though, it's just send you an email is the best place. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, Steve. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Dave. It's great talking to you. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.